The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Quit using my D20, you're going to use up all my good rolls. And tonight, we're going to be talking about role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, and the difference between what's the so-called soft role-playing games and the so-called hard role-playing games. Yes, there are soft and hard role-playing games, and if you didn't know that, you're about to get schooled. And to help us school you, we've brought in our favorite teacher, Jack Ward. Bomb check a wow wow. <laughs> Talking it's about that soft kind of school, and hardcore man. role playing. <laughs> it's not that kind of role playing either. Jeez, oh, man, okay. get your mind out of the gutter. Everyone's <laughs> as soon as people say hard and soft, people just like their minds just go into the wrong place. Of course. Of course. Well, that... Thanks for inviting that... me, by the way, before we go down this mad path. <laughs> all right well just don't go soft on us okay <laughs> i took pills for that <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right don why don't you tell us about uh the difference between soft tabletop role-playing games and hard tabletop role-playing games and i'm assuming it doesn't just refer to the cover that's on them yeah, it's true uh we got to kind of find a, a different term i think because this is going to be problematic <laughs> Although Only I, if you guys I, are above the age of five. It's interesting, though, because I think you could argue that most hard-covered uh, tabletop games are the hard rules, and the soft mm. editions afterwards are adi additional soft rules. That Not all the time, but you could find that there's a, a great deal of those originally would, would work, I would say. Yeah, that that's oddly prescient. Sort of. I mean... Well, we'll get to that in a bit. Would you guys prefer mm -hmm. the term um, "rules light" and "rules heavy" instead? Would that would that work for your juvenile minds? Yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure we could make that dirty too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm happen. pretty sure you probably can. Yeah, well, it's going to be one of those shows, I'll, folks. Because <laughs> all I can picture there's there's a Family Guy episode mm -hmm. with uh, with uh, with uh, Peter and Lois engaging in role playing. And uh -huh. she comes she comes out in a slinky outfit. I'm a naughty schoolgirl, and you see Peter in bed. Well, I'm a fifteenth level paladin with a vorpal sword of of like sharpness. <laughs> and she stops and goes, Wait, Peter, the paladin can't use the vorpal sword, it's against the rules. Oh, okay, then I'm a black guy, you know. <laughs> so that's what keeps running through my head when you talk about role playing. <laughs> Damn you, family guy, you've ruined something else for me. Mm. <laughs> It's quickly turning into the wrong kind of uh, podcast. Exactly. Well, apparently this is going to be our sex and D&D episode after all. <laughs> Any, uh, anyway. There, uh, there's an obscure joke for you. All right. So, um, so let's return to our, our focus. So how about we discuss the difference between rules heavy and rules light role playing games? How about that? Yeah, it's, that, that, that I think works. 
Because um, they basically are, right? Yeah, because the, 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 the hard, soft thing is kind of borrowed from, from science fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't think it quite applies to role-playing games because what we're going to talk about is the mechanics. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily the content. And, and that's important because we've kind of danced around this before because we've talked about designing a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. With Jack. And we... Yep. And we hit on this. And we had um, a discussion about what's called a narrativist role-playing game, which is one that's more story-focused rather than event-focused. Mm-hmm. And you can have a narrativist game with super complicated rules, and you can have like a, a simulationist game with very light rules. And it's those specific mechanics we're kind of we're kind of focusing in on. Mm-hmm. So again, back to rules light versus rules heavy games. Um, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty I think that's a pretty apt term for it because because it's. It's that idea, I guess, in simplest terms of how much math do I have to be able to do to play this thing? Right. And, well, I think we should probably go back. So would you consider, going back to the original, would you consider early D&D rules heavy or rules light? Now, not AD&D, but (laughs) D&D. This kind of gets at the crux of why this is important. And Mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is kind of specific to tabletop role-playing games mm-hmm. because computer games, the computer does all of this. So it it's, it's not something that comes up as often and other forms of entertainment because of the vicarious participancy works different. Mm-hmm. It's a little, a little different, but when you get to the first version of, of D and D it's really a rules light kind of game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with there's, that. There's not a lot of mechanics to it at all. And the interesting thing is it probably should have been a rules-heavy game. Mm-hmm. Oh, they fixed that in a hurry. Don't worry. Yeah, they, they do. Because what, what ends up happening is a lot of the game comes down to, and uh, the Dungeon Master will figure it out. Oh, good. Thanks. That's yep. uh, fantastic. But that was the spirit of the day. And, do you think and that talked... was Dave Arneson oh. that, that that did that part of it because it always struck me that Ga- Gary Gygax was the like the the real crunchy uh statistician who liked to have the tables because he you know he did the he, he did a lot of the the war gaming kind of chain mail stuff and that earlier on right yeah I, I think you're right and I think um a lot of it was just the spirit of the day mm-hmm. um because the last year or so I've had an obsession with the the first edition and I've tracked down a bunch of like magazines. White box? And... Yep. Cool. And a lot of the fanzines and that of the day, which you can surprisingly find online in that. Cool. There was this this kind of do it yourself attitude because it was the hobby was completely new. Mm-hmm. And the mechanics were pretty threadbare just because this was all of the stuff that they kind of thought made the the core of the game. They were sort of the people producing it were making it up as they went along. Uh, that's why in the original book, there's basically three different versions of the combat system. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, yeah, everybody playing would just kind of throw things in. Like, um, it amazes me when you look at the uh, the random encounter tables for the original white box game. Probably 80% of the monsters they reference aren't in any of the books. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, okay. Yeah, they're... 
they're mostly ripped off from from other sources so you can run into like fremen or sandworms and it was it was assumed at the time because D D kind of comes out of fandom it's it's something that bubbles out of the 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 burgeoning sci-fi fantasy fans of the day mm-hmm. and at that time everybody was kind of into everything so it was just assumed that you knew what that was or if they referenced barsoom you knew what barsoom was because you you'd read the john carter stuff and mm-hmm. everybody was just kind of got up and rolling there there wasn't any any concern for formalized rules there wasn't concern mm-hmm. for any kind of internal logic or consistency it was just everybody had this great new thing that they were just playing with and doing whatever right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of the things though that if i can <laughs> add this in um go ahead what what strikes me though don is i think that that video games actually can have that kind of complexity because i'll i'll find that if it, uh, certain things aren't hidden, like for example, I was playing um, Fallout Four, and mm. nothing's more frustrating for me than the latest how to use the workshop workbench, because um, uh-huh. they make it so complex that you have to do this, 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 and this, and find this, 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 and this, and do it. And it strikes me as like overly complicated. Uh, role-playing game style um, this is how you build your 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 skills level so they, right. they have that ability to do that in video games it's I think when when video games and like somebody used to say to me is like well you know video game role-playing is the same as regular tabletop role-playing and that's why I just wanted to call it all role-playing I'm like no it's not in any mm-hmm. way shape or form it's to this day it's still a more limiting system it's got a lot more bells and whistles to, 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 that can give you lots of great wow factor and it's well thought out. But it's certainly, we haven't got to the point where an AI can pop in and, and throw you in an entirely different direction uh, than you ever expected um, in, in a storyline. You got open world stuff, but that's not the same as running a particular storyline. So, yeah. um, but it is fascinating that it can fall prey to the same traps of overly complicated systems. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But I think one of the things where the, the difference happens is in like a video game or video role playing game, a lot of the over complexity is in story. Right. Yeah. I, that would, it, I would actually make an argument that that's not true. Okay. okay. Um, as someone who has played a few and uh, also at, le- at least on the Japanese side of role-playing games and some of the early American ones there is so much um, stat and equipment min-maxing and everything that you have to do and mm-hmm. you have to find the right equipment to do the right job and you have to deck your character out just right following certain parameters and such that I would argue that there's still a fairly heavy amount of engagement with the rules and metagame to being successful even in a computer role-playing game. I yeah, mean, but I'll... I mean, take a look at something like the Final uh... Fantasy games where you have like 50 different gems that you ha- can match up to get different results with all these different weapons and gadgets and such. And you can store them in different ways. And some of these gems you can combine to produce different things. And it just goes on forever. Like it's so, well, so intimidating. It's one of the reasons I never really got heavily into the games. It's just because there's so much meta, crunchy metagaming going on that it's just insane. There is, but it it's not like a role-playing game, and this is the, the big diff, in that I have to learn 
the mechanics for calculating the formula for how much damage my sword does if it hits based on this other formula that I have to memorize. That like, is true. You're you're right about the complexity, but the difference for like a tabletop game, and it's a it's a big difference. It affects the experience. Mm-hmm. Is that to make the world run, I have to learn the rules. I have to learn the formula. Whereas for any video game, the computer's doing it. And that's why I say, you're right about all these different gadgets and combinations of equipment and items I find. But that's still an in-story thing. Mm. I can learn the stats and what works better than that. But I don't have to learn the fundamentals of how the computer is figuring out how much damage something does or the resistance or... If I combine these things, mm-hmm. why do I get this effect? Like that formula is all done by the computer, whereas right. in a role playing game, that's done by the participants. It's that's almost true. like if it's almost like if you were playing, if you're doing a role playing game, all the stuff you do before game to outfit your character and customize your character in a very specific way, they move in game in. Uh, an elect in, in a in a video role playing game like mm-hmm. like Don says, you know the fact that you can put all these gems together doesn't stall the story in any way, shape, or form. It's just you trying to be able to facilitate something. Now, <clears throat> I I don't think in Fallout Four I have to make something specific to move that game forward, but it just allows me to create cooler weapons or something. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. okay. for that reason. Okay. Yeah. That that's that's a valid point. Um, it's not required, whereas in a game like what we're talking about, uh, uh, a hard role-playing game, it's definitely required. Um, now, I'm going to give two examples of what I how, how I see hard and soft or rules-heavy and rules-light mm-hmm. role-playing games. Um, to me, in the softest and or most rules-light uh, role-playing game I've ever encountered, and I actually still consider it a role-playing game, although this is debatable. Okay, and you may have other would be uh, the Baron Munchausen storytelling game, right? Um, I don't know if you ever, have either of you ever played it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, okay. but I'd love to. <laughs> okay, Baron really Munchausen cool. is one of the coolest. It's like I said, it's borderline whether it's a role playing game or not. You guys can decide, but I still think it's one of the coolest things of its kind I've ever seen. The short version is is that each person around the table, takes on the role of a, uh, a teller of tall tales, so we, shall we say, okay? And each person has a certain amount of coins. And so what happens is, is that you randomly pick one person, and that person has to tell a tall tale. And as they're telling the tall tale, the other players around, the, around can actually make suggestions, all right, of, of about what happens in the, ga- what happens in the story, like, for example, I could say, um, wasn't that your sister that you met? And I would push a coin to the, at the person, okay? Then the person has to actually make a decision. If they accept it, they accept my coin. If they don't accept it, they have to double, my, double whatever I put down and push it back to me and say, no, 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 it was, my, it was my niece or something like that, okay? And you might wonder, why is that important? Well, the trick is whoever has the most coins at the end of the night, loses. And has to use that, in theory, to buy everyone around. It's supposed to be played in a bar or something like that. But they're the loser of the game. So the whole point of it is you're trying to actually lose all of your coins because whoever loses all their coins first technically wins the game. Up until that point of telling me about the coins, 
it yes. was more of a theater game than it was an actual role playing game. But uh, right. when you when you get to the point that you actually have to barter with each other for a winning or losing position, um, yes. based upon that aspect, you're you're right. I think it actually enters at least a, mm -hmm. a, a strategy game of some sort or a, or a tabletop game. It may not be effectively role playing because you're not right. necessarily taking up a role. But it's, ah, it's but you are. Game. You're not you. When you're telling mm -hmm. that tall tale, this is the Baron Munchausen game. You're supposed to be an 18th century explorer type person sitting around an 18th century bar whenever Baron Munchausen well, was supposed to exist. You didn't say that at the beginning. Okay, I apologize. No I apologize. So, okay. um, so you are supposed to be telling a tale that's supposed to be taking place in I don't think it's Elizabethan, but basically old Europe, basically. You know, when the in the age of sail and wonders and everything like that. Um, and you're the and you're supposed to be telling about a true quote unquote true experience that happened to you. Okay. Um, also, the other neat thing is you might wonder what happens if you run out of coins. Like what? And the answer is it means that if someone gives you a coin, you have to do whatever they say. <laughs> whatever they say. Ha so suddenly, the other participants in the game are basically running your story at that point, and you have no control over your own story. Although you may get a chance to get revenge later on, but it, anyway, but that's why you you're, you have to be careful not to run out of coins. Otherwise, you'll never get a chance to get revenge on the other players. Um, <laughs> um, and so that, to me, I consider kind of a role playing game because you are plant taking on a role and you are telling us. But instead of cooperatively going on an adventure, you're each telling about your own personal experiences and playing with the experiences that you have. Again borderline between theater story role playing it's kind of like right on the edge of all of them but to me it's the most rules light thing i could think of short of people just sitting around and telling a story um or cooperatively telling a story i suppose um as yeah. far as when rules, did that come out when did that come out anyway came out in the 90s it came out late 90s i think I'll, i can look it up but give me a sec here so um, near the narrative uh oh yeah it, but yeah. but yeah. before before it really took off on the internet, um, I, I'll, 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 I'll check in a minute. I'll look it up for us. But on the other hand, the most rules crunchy thing I have ever seen in my entire life, okay? You guys are about to laugh, but it's true. Um, the most is um, champions. Champions is yeah. the most rules crunchy thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you'll laugh because it's one of my favorite role-playing games of all time. But... Oh my God, does that game literally try to simulate <laughs> everything under the sun? Um, the only thing that might be as bad or equal to it, Champions, is Don's own role-playing game, the Akrima City role-playing game, which is also super rules-heavy. Hmm. Kind of, because that hits at a couple things. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing is the Baron Munchausen thing. Yeah. I would consider a role-playing game, but it's because, if you remember, I'm not big on like pinning down definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a simpler role-playing game, and that's one we've all played. Okay, I'm Darth Vader. No, I'm Luke Skywalker, and I stab you. You're dead. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, that's... but there needs to be... This is the thing why I said Baron Munchausen, though, is because mm -hmm. it at least adds uh, a rule set and an engagement going on, whereas there are no rules that to that kids playing imagination on the playground thing. That's just whatever they come up with at the moment. I, consider, I still require it to be somewhat structured in some way to qualify as a role-playing game. Now, see, I'm going to put forth the idea mm -hmm. that you're not wrong. Exactly. Thank oh, thank you. You're but, right. I'm not wrong. Yeah. But kids playing make-believe, there is a structure, and it goes back to that, what we were just saying about original D&D, &D, mm -hmm. that 
when the kid would take the role, they would have something in their mind. And like, if, if like I'm, I'm Darth Vader and all the participants have an idea of Darth Vader and their, their concept of what Vader can do is as a little kid is a combination of what you've seen and, and wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But it's that idea and it's that kind of activity that's the basis of the role-playing game, which is what happens when you get first D&D. It's very rules-light because the assumption is that everybody participating is familiar with all of like the rules of the genre and the rules of whatever thing you're cribbing to throw into your game. And what ends up happening is, is as the game expands outward... You tend to get more rules because you're getting differing opinions. So if it's like me and my friends playing Star Wars as kids, we all have enough shared experience. Our perception is probably very similar. But if like my cousin from from Toronto comes down and wants to play, his perception might be different mm. because he would have had that slightly different experience. And it was the D&D thing that um, reading early issues of, of a lot of the, the fanzines and APAs, mm-hmm. there would be debate that there was a, oh, shoot, was it Boston? That the guys playing D&D in its earliest days in Boston were playing what they called uh, Dungeons and Beavers. Uh, beavers being the mascot of one of the local sports ball teams. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's Boston, but it was like another university. And there was this debate amongst people. Are they really playing D&D or are they doing their own thing? And it's it's because as it spreads out, you're bringing more people with more perspectives in. Mm, true. And that's the purpose of the, the rules. The rules are to make sure everybody's thinking along the same lines. Right. Okay. And that's, that's, that's why I say it comes from, you know, I shot you. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. You're going to die now. No, I didn't. You suck. Uh, you can't aim. And it, it comes out of that. It's it's that experience mm-hmm. that gets formalized. And then the the idea of, of rules heavy versus rules light gets down to the kind of experience that you're seeking mm-hmm. and who you're participating in and kind of what your expectations are. Because uh, you're right about something like Champions mm-hmm. being one of the most rules heavy games ever because they set a system up... To, so you could simulate anything you wanted. Yep. Yes, they did. But they do it weird because I'm going to say that another game that's kind of on that level would be GURPS. Yes. But the big difference is that Champions is more... It's it's more complex because the way the formulas work, there's a lot more to calculating things and how you succeed or how you don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that conceptually exists only as a game function. That when you do like combat, it's it's like your your defensive rating versus your offensive rating. And I'm rolling, my target is 11 modified by like our two ratings and there's different ways of calculating it. Mm-hmm. Those, aren't, those aren't things that relate to anything kind of real world or story directly. Right. Yep. They're abstracts on ability. Whereas GURPS has the same kind of complexity and the same huge lists of modifiers and equipment and stuff but the underlying mechanics are different because it's i have to roll under my target number which Mm -hmm. is based on my skill the higher the number the better and you can relate things conceptually to story or reality so if i have pistol at 15 15 is really good so i'm a good shot if i've got 20 
20 is like super good. I'm like one of them old West trick shooter kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a more, it's a more direct relation between uh story concept and mechanic. Yes, that's true. I will say GURPS is better than that. Side note, GURPS, of course, is actually based loosely on Champions. They they call, That was their inspiration for the rule set they used for GURPS, was the original yes. Champions game. Is it a Steve game. Jackson game, too? No. Uh, well, GURPS is Steve Jackson, but yeah. uh, Champions was originally made by... Oh, they weren't originally called Hero Games. They were called something else back in the day. I'd have to, okay. I'd have to look it up. But, um, yeah, they were... Oh, they. Oh, what did they published under Iron Crown, I think, originally was was under. I'd have to look it up, but anyway, yeah, I, th- I think everybody did Champions at some point. Yeah, Champions moved around a little bit, but no, Champions mm. is really old. It's it's not the first superhero role playing game, but you could argue it might be the first complete one. I think I remember we did our episode. And I think it slightly even predates Villains of Vigilantes. They're wow. they're basically contemporaries with each other, but uh, but it was cha- Champions was definitely one of the very first point-based role-playing games where the characters mm-hmm. were built using like a point system instead of just rolling stuff gotcha yeah okay and it set the standard which is why GURPS basically followed that standard they said yeah there's too many stats here and it's a little too complex but yeah let's make it a little more realistic and anyway uh simplify it down and so that's what became GURPS even though they're completely different companies completely different sets of people producing it etc by the way mm-hmm. uh the extraordinary adventures of baron munchausen um was published in 1998 by hogshead publishing oh okay it's had several different editions since then including one by steve jackson games um the most recent one being uh 2016 edition of the game by fantasy flight games which was the third edition with uh, and it, it, i highly highly recommend it if you get the chance although inherently the game is so damn simple that it's like it's like i don't know where they get enough content really to have that book out <laughs> or maybe that's just the way we played it i don't know because at heart it's not much more than i described to you you can literally teach someone how to play it in five minutes yet the book itself is actually like a like a thick hardbound monster <laughs> Wow. So <laughs> I don't I don't know where I I think the, the rest of it's supposed to be setting up the setting and inform you about what the setting is like and such that the characters are supposed to be living in where they mm. tell their tall tales or something something of that effect mm. but I do highly recommend it anyway it's a, it's a lot of fun it's probably the the best party role playing type game thing I've ever played um and um but on the other hand Champions is also a hell of a lot of fun too you just have to be willing to mm. work with the numbers I mean, it's a kind of simulationist, I think would be the term, maybe I'm wrong, game where they are trying to simulate reality. So they're trying to, like, here's a set of rules you can use to simulate almost anything. Have fun. You just have to kind of work around things a little bit. Yeah. And that was the goal. So that's why, you know, you buy Energy Blast, but that Energy Blast can literally represent everything from rocks to the to wind or whatever, whatever you want. The, the actual way it looks and affects the world is completely separate, as Don was saying, from the actual numbers and stats. Cool. Yeah. To, to a point. I mean, if it can only still do so much damage. So, yeah, that, in that sense, it is still tied into the stat stuff. But anyway, so those are probably the most rules heavy and rules light games i can come up with anyway short of kids playing on the playground as don pointed out um so um and there's and there's many things in between such as dungeons and dragons when it first started was more rules light as we talked about but then ad and d came out and fixed that problem (laughs) right fix it good 
Exactly. <laughs> like, how many rules can we cram in here for everything under the sun? That's Let's right. try. <laughs> and that was AD&D. Um, and, but, but in fairness, I mean, you know, that's, that's what some people enjoyed back in those days. So that's what they did. I mean, we 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 can laugh about it, and and I know you don't really enjoy playing AD and D, and but it it there's a reason why it was the number one role playing game by far for mm-hmm. many for many many years, and it really did sort of set the standard for so many like games to come, things like hit points, you know, whatever you wanted to call them. Uh, and and even into the video games that you you can see video games b- being built upon the the styles and the systems designed in Dungeons and Dragons initially, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Reasons. I I know that like <laughs> I just remembered this when you guys were talking. Like when I was a kid, my parents, mm-hmm. in their attempt to try to make me do, do better math, got mm-hmm. me this book on like math games. And I got, and most of them I completely ignored because they were stupid. But one of them I really, really liked was this game where you kind of like figured out, it was extremely simple, but you you were a tank and you Mm -hmm. basically figured out, uh, you tried to shoot another tank by by coming up with a particular number. Mm -hmm. And I always hated playing my cousin because he was amazing in math and he could figure out how to hit me every single time because it wasn't obviously a very com- and he was like, like a year or two older than me so his math skills were a little further ahead i guess mm-hmm. it was definitively right. it, there was very little role playing i mean um very little chance involved it was very much specifically you know if you if you do this you will hit the guy kind of thing right yeah and so once i started realizing mm. he was hitting me every time i suddenly didn't want to play the game anymore because it was mm. no fun <laughs> um so that was like the, the like the most light thing that i remembered ever playing that was close to that kind of thing and then i guess the most difficult thing that i played which was just frustrating beyond end was um starship mm-hmm. battles or starfleet battles Oh yeah, another game I enjoyed. Yeah, I, it's just there's like so many rules. I mean, combat, yeah. spaceship combat in Traveler was a nightmare too. I actually, I actually created um, little basic programs using my Vic Twenty to try to uh, simplify the combat system in hmm. in in uh, in uh, uh, Traveler. I really love Traveler as a role playing game. Um, but it was just right. it was extremely complex about certain things. So mm-hmm. I, you know, that's the one spaceship combat game of its era I never actually played. I never actually experienced Traveler spaceship combat. Maybe that's a good thing. Oh yeah, it really was. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that Gerbson had grabbed it because their their combat was so much easier to play Traveler two than the than the original one they had. But I mean, Traveler yeah. was like it came out in what seventy eight seventy nine. So oh, it yeah. is yeah. one of the first role playing games. Probably well, probably I think Space Opera was the first science fiction role playing game. But I think uh, you know Traveler was certainly the most popular of them all. So. Let me double check that because I think I think Traveler predates Space Opera, but we'll really? double check on that. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, Space Opera was 1980, so oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure that yeah, I'm pretty sure Traveler, and we can double check. Okay, uh, Traveler game is like 78 or 79. Traveler game, yeah, there we go. 
Traveler game is 77. 77. Wow. I was going to say 77. So, yeah. I still have the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, no. Uh, so somebody lied to me. Somebody told me that Space Opera was longer, and I believed them all these years. Thank you. Thank you, DNA, for clarifying. <laughs> That's what we're here for, man. That's what we're here for. We're here to do I, it right. Um, and I think they're thinking yeah, of a different one. There, uh, there might Space have been another one. In, yeah, I think there's, there's one... I think Traveler's still older, but I think again it was late seven because Space Opera was the uh, fantasy, uh, the FGU one. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it the was. Fantasy yep. Games yep, Unlimited. But there was because I think there was another. Are you thinking about Star what, Frontiers? That came no, later. That came out. Yeah, yeah. That was like eighty one or eighty two, I think. No, there was one older. It's one of those games that you've you've never heard of, you've never seen by a company that was around for a week and disappeared. Right. Like yeah, it, Star Frontiers was 1982. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can't. But yeah, I do and, think and there Star was Frontiers one. Star Frontiers came from TSR, like it came from the D and D folk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Star Frontiers is one that we played the hell out of around here. Did you? Did you like yeah, it? It's, 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 it's pretty good. It kind of, um, it skirts the line between like um, 80s heroic Saturday morning sci-fi and pulp sci-fi gotcha mm-hmm. sure but this the starship combat rules they did are one of the best that i've ever seen cool okay i could i could totally see that yeah the you mean yeah. the nighthawk rules or yeah i think they're called night yeah i love those those were awesome that actually mm-hmm. did also turn into one of my favorite spaceship combat things although i still only got to play it once or twice i've still mostly played um yes yeah, starfleet battles <laughs> So um, you you really like the the rules heavy games? I do actually, or at least I did. You know, it's one of those things. When I was young, I loved them. That's right. true. And then as I've gotten older, the older I've gotten, the less I like them. It, it's an odd thing huh. where now, if you would ask me to choose a, a role playing game, I would probably choose one that was medium light. Right. Like I would probably choose the hardest game. I probably I'm not even sure I'd even play Champions. I still have a copy of the last couple copies of the last couple editions, but I'm not sure I'd actively want to play Champions anymore. Just because to me it's really just about getting into the story and having fun. So I'd probably prefer to play something more rules light, with GURPS being about as hard as I'd go at this point. Cool. Um, uh, but yeah, that's why, uh, yeah, I like games with, that encourage creativity and that are more about storytelling and having fun than trying to simulate reality. Cause I think that's a pointless exercise, but, but back in the day when I was young, absolutely. If there was a, I, I never made a heavy rules, heavy role-playing game. I didn't like, mm-hmm. um, except for, <laughs> oh my God, there was one, what was it called? There was actually a game. And it literally looked like uh, a phone book. Like we make jokes about champions being able to stop a bullet, but this thing literally could. And it looked like a bullet. And it was someone's, it was kind of someone's version of of riffs, but it was more fantasy and it was, it was just huge. And I'm trying to remember what it was called. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking, but um, it's, and they had a copy at my local sci-fi bookstore, and it sat there forever because everyone would kind of pick it up, flip through it, and go "whoa," and then they just put it down, and then that was the last, you know, the, the, no one. So back no one away actually, slowly. Back, that's exactly right. That's exactly what they do. Um, 
<laughs> and I'm trying to remember what it was called. I know the audience is curious, so I will do my best to figure out what it was called. But uh, uh, fantasy RPG. Okay, RPG. Um, anyway, so mm-hmm. so you don't. I'll look it up in a moment. But so Jack, you don't really like rules heavy games. No, I really don't. I I um I think I've always. What I've done is I've even if even for the rules heavy games of like D and D and stuff like that because I got into A D and D because of the complexity and stuff like that. But I often mm-hmm. like shucked away much of the stuff that would slow down the gameplay, or right. I would modify it based upon my story. I found myself as I got in even into later high school and university that the the monster manuals for example were kind of like guides for me to jump off of because i like the idea mm-hmm. of creating a goblin by name but and 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 by you know by feel whatever but entirely different so that when somebody's like oh we have to fight a goblin pff, i've got this and then it would be mm-hmm. 20 hit dice you know what i mean because because mm-hmm. it was the monster goblin that lived at the back of the lot right a swamp <laughs> goblin or something like that cuz i like the idea of being able to put the fear back into people by by doing enough modification because we all played those games where somebody would just take the rule book memorize it and then stop the gameplay halfway through going no you can't do that you know what I mean? And sometimes it made mm. sense, and sometimes it really went against the story. Right. And so, and and that's what it all came down for me. It all came down to story. I had no problem modifying things as long as, by the end of the day, people felt they had a good story that was told. So, right. But I didn't. You didn't want to make it so obvious. That's the thing. That's why it's so important as a DM or a GM or whoever is like to roll your dice behind your screen. Because sometimes mm-hmm. the dice don't matter, and you're like, I've got to just pretend that they made this because they're all going to die if I don't. And this right. is a terrible place for them to die. I was not one of those people who was really anxious to kill off the entire party because, you know, yeah. nobody comes back to your house then. <laughs> that, oh, that's exactly right. And the story you've planned out ends up being, like, thrown completely off. So, no, no, yeah. no, I totally get that. Now um, today with um, with uh, Brian Welcher, who you've already had and I played with before, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned to you in the past. Um, the, he has mm-hmm. like the most amazing uh, role playing like <laughs> cave uh, where mm-hmm. he has ridiculous amounts of of miniatures and games and the whole bit, and he has so many Pathfinder modules that mm-hmm. they'll never get to play them all. So he'll right, pull yeah. something off the shelf. And if they honestly all die off, they'll never play that game again. They won't make new characters. Mm-hmm. So right. it goes it, huh. it goes to the dustbin of history, which really puts a desire in people who have just spent 16 hours or whatever it is trying to finish off that campaign to not mm-hmm. lose their characters. There's suddenly there is that tension, right? And that's what right. people mm-hmm. are always looking for is that tension of real stakes going on in a good game. So that's kind right. of their, oh, so that's why he does that, to just create that tension. So it's like, yeah, if you fail this, you will never get another chance. That, that's that's right. it. N- none mm. of us will. It will sit there and haunt us because I will face it outwards so we can see from the bookshelf <laughs> what we have failed to do. <laughs> yep, that's, no, I'm just, that's the I'm game just that, that all failed. I, I don't yeah. think he said, I'm sure he would agree with me on that, but I don't think he's done that. And there are times that they sit there and he'll, they'll, they'll mention a campaign and they'll just, you'll see the entire table just shudder like, oh God, that was awful. 
that just killed <laughs> us all. And, and I, I really want to go back and see what happened in the end, but we never will. So, and they're not allowed to read it or anything. It's great. It's really quite cool. So, <laughs> well, the, of course they do when Brian leaves the room, they, they just grab it and it's like, Oh, what happened? What was supposed to happen? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, okay, no, no, I can see that. But you are also a huge fan of second edition D and D, aren't you? And isn't that relatively rules heavy? Um. Well, again, yes and no. I mean, uh, second edition was certainly. Uh, I think it was actually more role playing oriented than first edition uh, advanced D and D, which was much more stats oriented. And I also love, like, I I bought everything a second edition because I really love the the uh, the kits that they had which a lot of that stuff sort of got incorporated in later on elements of D&D um mm-hmm. but you know you could have like the magician's kit or the magic users kit I should say and there'd be you know 15 different kinds of magic users but for me it wasn't mm-hmm. I, you, you do that way before the game starts and that's creating really unique kind of characters that you can utilize to role play with instead right. of just being stuck mm-hmm. with magic user cleric or priest, um, fighter, uh, ranger, mm-hmm. paladin, thief, assassin, monk. You had a bi- a pile of different options to be able to do for variety. But those are story challenges, right? Those are story variety yeah. things more than anything else. They're not like, well, I hit his elbow, but it glanced off his armor. Like, I didn't care about encumbrance. Right. I really mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't make any difference to me for encumbrance, because and 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 you know, uh, Brian's they really worry about encumbrance, but to me, uh, figuring out encumbrance every single time would slow me down. And in, in a movie, mm. they don't care about encumbrance in a movie when you're watching a fantasy movie. Really? Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen like? Do they sit there with Lord of the Rings going, "Well, how are we going to carry this box?" They don't think about that. They just give it to somebody and they move on. Because spending that time figuring it out right just like you know you know diseases and magical like magical diseases tend to have more uh element in a story than just you know i've got you know athlete's foot my character has athlete's foot how's that going to change the story right but i rolled it and now i have athlete's foot so (laughs) (laughs) now nowadays um it's interesting about the pathfinder he has like critical cards right which are kind mm-hmm. of interesting because if you do get a critical, then you just pull a critical card and it tells you what it is. Now those effects, suddenly right. those those can affect the gaming of the story. And if you know if your character suddenly goes blind for the next three days, right, that yeah. can really make a big difference in your in your storyline. So those those things I kind of find fun. So again, it all comes down to how how is this going to advance the story in in a meaningful way. If it's going to slow down and we're going to spend all of our time looking up stats um, mm. rather than moving through um, scenes, I got it down to a point that I could get through like um, if I was with a bunch of people, it would be like three different uh, scenes or, mm-hmm. or, or encounters or whatever. Um, but if I was doing a really good campaign, we could get up to seven, right? But if I'm going to spend all that time doing stuff on stats, we may not get out of the tavern for an hour. And that would be no fun. So. Definitely for me. Wow. For me. Okay. No. No. That. That. That makes sense. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And yeah, the more I hear about Brian's games and that, I the more I wish I lived <laughs> next door. And based, so I get so I had an excuse to go over and part, play because oh my god, I I imagine even though I'm not a huge AD and D fan or whatever, I think or D and D fan in general, I think it would be awesome to play in his you know games Pathfinder. Yeah. 
I think it'd be really Mm. cool if you guys could send him an email and convince Mm. him to uh, do a live like videotaping of it and just and put and put like the video on the Mm -hmm. DNA thing just so you can see you know go through the process of what one of his games is like kind of thing mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. see his place and have that all videotaped that would be very cool of course in 2020 when we have MadCon, i'm hoping both of you guys will be down here and i can take yep. you personally but yeah yeah well i i hope mm-hmm. to see his uh cave maybe in 2020 we'll see what happens <laughs> um my, we'll we'll talk about that later anyway sure. um so by the way the game that i was referencing earlier i found it cool mm-hmm the game that no one wanted to buy, but oh my god, is that thing huge? It was a game called The World of Cinnabar. Oh, yeah. Which is noted for, some people call it one of the worst role-playing games of all time. Mm-hmm. That's not, those are my words. Those actually come from uh, Mind Hackers. Anyway, anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's referenced on the Wikipedia page. The World of Cinnabar. Um, it's a story about, uh, well, I'll read you the setting. Cinnabar is actually Mars, 50,000 years in the future, hollowed out and turned into a spaceship to take humanity to a safe place after Earth had been destroyed. Civilization is beginning to rebuild after a series of disasters and technology is practiced as a religion. Uh, Cinnabar is also known for bizarre monsters, including the giant mutant fire clam and the flying grizzly, capable of shooting laser beams from its eyes. Guilds and organizations play a major role in the Cinnabar Guilds and organizations play a major role in the Cinnabar worldship. Mortals are often interact, able to interact with immortals, demigods, and even the gods themselves. So it's it's kind of like riffs, you know, it's that super techno fantasy thing. It came yeah. out in like 1991 for first edition, 93 for second edition. And yeah, it's meant to be, you know, an everything in the kitchen sink setting and game and everything. But that's why the book, it's like, is, is monstrously thick. And... Wow. It's just, and the rule system itself is just monstrously detailed, but not very well explained. Mm. Um, so that's why it's considered to be, uh, yeah, to have a very poor design by some uh, reviewers. Um, RPG Net review of the World of Cinnabar. Yeah, people, you can, I'll, I'll link to the information about it in the show notes if people are that curious. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, it comes from that kind of Rift's era where people were just throwing everything together. Yeah, you guys are kind of bumping up against one of the tricks mm-hmm. that I think causes problems for, for like tabletop gaming is that a rules heavy and a rules light game are different experiences. Because mm-hmm. you guys are talking about how now you don't care for the rules heavy ones, but I, I, I enjoy both. And I can remember too playing like a lot of super rules heavy games. There was always a certain joy. Mm-hmm. In learning the rules. It was like a rite of passage kind of thing. Right. And a lot of times, the more complicated rules will facilitate different kinds of action. It's like uh, you guys were taught about encumbrance. Mm-hmm. Encumbrance is one of those things that it comes up because when you got people coming into gaming as games, as opposed to kind of a continuation of fandom, mm-hmm. you had people who would like to kind of... Kinda, well, cheating isn't the right word, but in the spirit of cheating, would do things like, okay, so I'm wearing like my plate mail armor, and I got 15 magic swords, and I'm carrying three shields, and like I'm carrying like 500,000 gold pieces that we found with the dragon, and uh, and it would get ridiculous. You wanted some kind of mechanic for what physically can my character, you know, handle. 
and and that's why you got things like um AD and D. AD and D was famous for for obsessively keeping track of of certain things and letting others go. So encumbrance was basically just for for uh, weapons, armor, and treasure. But uh, an encumbrance of eighty was your backpack and all of your tools, whether you were carrying fifteen lanterns and a pickaxe or you know just a pocket set of lockpick tools. Because you're always kind of fighting that idea of simulating the, the reality for the characters of what's happening versus the feel, versus the quickness of the play. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what ends up happening is you go through different trends where the state of the art for gaming is one or the other. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the, the big thing that every, the, the standard that every game is fairly or unfairly held to. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because that was again going to the uh, like the mid '90s, early mid '90s, where the more narrativist games were getting popular, and they tended to be stripped down mechanically because the idea was that you're playing the story just as much as as the character, so you're not obsessively keeping track of the character's reality. You're kind of keeping more track of the character's dramatic circumstances and games were getting simpler the rules were getting simpler i remember there was a big debate there were people who were saying and that's the future of gaming it's strictly going to be these very drama based Mm -hmm. rules light blah 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 then the d20 system happens which harkens back to the good old days of D &D, Mm -hmm. right which is a giant massive you know super rules heavy kind of thing and it becomes the most popular thing ever, and then you see everything go that way. Because I, I remember uh, once the the third edition, the D twenty system took off. Mm-hmm. There were fantasy games. I can't remember the game that if I stabbed you, there were rules for based on what weapon I was using and my strength, how big and deep the stab wound was, and then how much you'd bleed out based on the size of the stab wound. And I'm like. This is maybe a little obsessive, but again, it's that idea. Every mm-hmm. time the pendulum swings one way or the other, it goes a little further because people don't realize that tabletop gaming has a state of the art. Mm-hmm. That somebody will do something and it adds something to the experience. It gives you a new element that you can play with. And then everybody goes nuts with that. And that's why you tend to see these big phases of rules, heavy rules, light kind of thing. Right. Hmm. And, there's no ultimate experience. There's no like perfect role-playing game simply because they're all different. You're getting something different out of each and every one. And that's why it moves back and forth. And that's why that's like a great thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you want to role-play a Tom Clancy novel. So you need something like GURPS that details all of the little fiddly bits that make the the event and the situation real and sometimes you want an arnie film where you know you just come in and go and then throw a helicopter at the bad guys even though you're supposed to be a normal human and then that goes more like rules light and stuff and that's why it's always that back and forth because there's always going to be Mm -hmm. always going to be a different experience people will get comfortable and jaded with one and then the other one kicks off let me go back to the original title of this episode between the hard and the soft and reflecting back to like you were mentioning um uh the hard and soft science fiction right so because hard science fiction requires you to to be really detailed about 
like I'm, one of my favorite uh, radio dramas uh, was Cold Equation, and um, it was mm-hmm. an old. It was um, an X minus one episode, and the, basically it's a guy who's flying. I think he's going to Mars, and there's a woman who has come aboard, and the Cold Equation is um, she's got to die because if she doesn't, we don't have enough air, food, or auction for anybody to make it there. Mm-hmm. So she's got to walk out that airlock. And effectively, that's what ends up happening because there's nothing you can do about that. That's about as hard sci-fi as you can get, right? Uh, if this were Buck Rogers, he would you know, jimmy up something that made absolutely no sense and, and because it was high-level adventure. So in the same way... Um, mm-hmm. you've got the hard science fiction aficionados and the crunchy, hard role-playing guys who want the level of realism. It could be based very definitively upon those kinds of genres. Like, it doesn't make sense to have a, a Chinese action movie as a hard, crunchy um, role-playing game because it's designed to be adventurous and fun and loose. Hmm. I've done it. Yeah. I, I of course I've done it, um, <laughs> but and oddly enough, you know the best system I found for doing that kind of thing before this is in the past was and I tried all the different systems. I made my players play, uh, you know, Chinese kung fu action stuff using several different systems like GURPS and um, all kinds of systems. But the best one was actually the hero system, Champions. It actually did you play it, Feng Shui? Yes, I did. I, yeah, did. I really like that. I've never played Champions, to be honest, so I don't know. But I really like Feng, Feng Shui. Feng Shui was okay. I it It's a little bit loose for my taste like it's okay. it works hard to simulate the genre but some yes. but i but at the time you see i again this is difference between me back then i'm talking about 15 20 years ago i um, wonder if wonder if you'd feel the same way now probably hmm. not like i said actually to be honest my favorite martial arts role-playing game that i came across was mentioned in a recent episode which is actually at least they called it ninja crusade or something to that effect that i played at a tech role-playing game testing a year or two back where everything was tied into how creative you were with your uh, martial arts move descriptions determined pretty much your chance of success. <laughs> and so I thought that was neat. Uh, Weapons of the Gods also does that, and so that's really cool. And maybe if I went back and tried Feng Shui again, that would probably be okay. Um, but back at the time, remember, Champions was made for superhero comics, specifically Silver Age superhero comics. And so as an end result, it has that you know, bashing guys, knocking each other around kind of feel to it down. That's kind of what it's made for. Mm-hmm. And so that interfaced pretty well with the whole martial arts thing. Like I found that that worked pretty well. And even once we added martial arts superpowers and things like that also worked pretty well. That's why there was an actual um, supplement for the hero system called Ninja Hero that was literally meant to be used to use champions to play, you know, martial arts movie style games and old Chinese movie stuff. But again... If you want to go hard rules with it, that would probably be the best choice. But modern stuff, Weapons of the Gods, if it was still in print, or uh, Ninja Crusade would be where I'd probably go. Hmm. Um, but but again, so again, t- you know, your, your tastes just change with time, right? That's just kind yeah. of the way it is. And it also depends on, I'm you know, I'm old now, so I just don't want to spend a lot of time playing with the rules anymore. But, you know, on the other hand, I do actually still appreciate the feel that a uh, hard role-playing game can actually give you. 
Like mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of because uh, it does enforce a certain play style and a way of thinking on you. Yeah, and sometimes that can actually be a good thing. Mm-hmm. That I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought that it was just that you're old and you don't want to learn new stuff. I would have thought that it's more like you. Um, y- you are like me. Mm-hmm. effectively all about story now like you write that's pretty much it yeah you're and right. so and so if that's where your head is at then you're going to be focusing most of your role-playing experience on how to develop the best story possible i think so and I, that's that's probably mostly it that's also one of the reasons probably why i mostly stopped playing uh, role-playing games is because in the end i was just telling stories with a group of people and to be blunt it was mostly me leading them through my story in the end i wasn't getting a lot from a lot of my players so that's why i quit i'm the same way like i feel like i'm cheating my actual writing when i go and role play even though i get all the aspect of of the social Mm -hmm. aspect and the whole bit i in the end i feel really like i'm it's it's time lost more than time gained because Mm. that it's it's really a moment in time it's not yeah. like somebody can go and pick up that book again or watch that movie again and go and relive that. It's mm-hmm. I can't explain those moments to the same degree to somebody who wasn't there. And so mm-hmm. it really is it's, it's it's lost with the people who have experienced when they're gone. So the part of part of one of the reasons why I like writing and stuff like that is is creating something that potentially other generations could enjoy somewhere down the line. Right. Huh. I, 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 think, I can see that, yeah. I, I think you guys are kind of missing out on, on the advantage of a role-playing game. Okay. Because I, I, I can definitely see your point that what's happened with you guys because you are writers is you come into a story as a writer mm. and a role-playing game is an event. Yep. And yeah. this is... This is where I find for writing, if you've got a good group, and this is this is going to go to what I think is one of the, the biggest differences between heavy and light rules-based games. Mm-hmm. When you set up a story, you're in control of all of the elements. Right. Right. They, certain things might have to play out a certain way in a story, but if you really wanted to, you can find a way to fudge it. You can go back, you can re-edit. Mm-hmm. A role-playing game is the exact opposite, that you're setting something up and then you're seeing where it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is one of the one of the the reasons why a, a rules heavy game mm-hmm. like uh, like you guys were saying it leads you down a certain path. Mm-hmm. It sets up a very specific way that things happen to the point that as we had talked about an episode or two back, a lot of things that happen in role playing games become their own thing, mm-hmm. and now we're starting to see that spill off into other forms of entertainment that that it it's mm. it's again that idea of like how hit points work we talked about that in another show that you're kind of starting to see shows that work like that or some of the old tropes that like we meet at the inn or this guy goes up a level or that you're seeing very similar not just in the lit rpg stuff but in like regular shows but, but what what oh go ahead um i would say that but i think we talked about that too that i think a big part of that actually though is because we're getting whole generations of writers and everything that grew up on those games. Many of them yeah, were even many of them were even GMs in those games. I was going to ask you about that specifically because for because Japan really took off with D and D, didn't they? 
Oh yeah, they yeah. were they, yeah, they were crazy went, like, for D and D. Crazy for D and D. So is that the original or, or uh, the 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 original or the origin of the mm-hmm. whole uh, uh, video games and manga and all that other stuff of leveling up and stuff like that? Was that? Do you think that those writers were people who were playing D and D back in the eighties and wanted to be able to translate that in animation and on all that other form? Well, there's a catch with the Japanese, uh, as, as there always is. Um, yes and no. D&D was popular in Japan, but it was nowhere near as popular as uh, the, the early computer role-playing games that everyone played that were based on D&D. Yeah. Like, okay. like the very first Final Fantasy games, for example. Oh, I thought you were um, talking they, about like, the text-based ones. Well, there's those too. Those were actually those weren't that popular, but the ones that the, the ones that came out like for the early consoles and for the early mach- for the early computers and such like the PC ninety eight and everything back in back in Japan, those were actually those really were huge. I can't overstate how huge those things were back in the day. And so this is why most Japanese their concept of role playing like levels and hit points and all that. That all comes from uh, computer role playing games. That doesn't come from uh, actual D and D directly. Okay. D and D was a game that was played by nerds, for the most part in Japan. It wasn't played by the general public. Yeah, but that's Mm -hmm. that's that idea of idea creep that it it does come from because those games did borrow the mechanics of D and D. Not to mention it's nerds that are the writers too, right? So if we're talking about the writers that are coming in through that. It's it you know even now in Hollywood you know how many of the people who are writing action adventure fantasy stuff like that started off playing D and D or some kind of role playing game? You know? Oh, absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely. So that's why I'm, that's why I was wondering about that. That you're right. It maybe didn't hit main culture, but it didn't have to. You know, right? The, the world turns yeah. on the nerd. <laughs> in, in, well, exactly, exactly. We we are True. the center of everything. Um, <laughs> thus, the Department of Nerdly Affairs is necessary to protect the general public from nerddom. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Containment is a big part of the mission. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but, so, but yes, that's, that's basically what happened. And I think that's mm-hmm. true for a lot of places that it wasn't the actual pen and paper role-playing game that introduced them to these ideas. It was mostly imported Japanese video games. Mm-hmm. And that is this chain reaction thing. The Japanese took it, they made video games. And then when Nintendo and everything went all around the world, they took their video games with them. They took the early like yeah. fantasy star and final fantasy and oh there's there's another one that i know i'm missing that's actually super important and this is why you can tell if you're looking at something that was inspired by japanese games rather than D, if there's a slime in it because hmm. um, the japanese being the lovers of cute things fell in love with the idea of slimes like they thought they were the greatest thing ever <laughs> okay so Weird. all early role-playing <laughs> games, all the early Japanese stuff has slimes in it. And game um, shows, apparently. Well, yeah, there's... <laughs> Slime that's... falls off of buckets and stuff like that. Well, there's that There's that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's why slimes are just an integral part. Because they're usually like the low-level monster your character first meets in a Japanese game. And usually like has to kill to gain the experience points to go to other stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's interesting. In the early Japanese stuff, usually you weren't facing off against like... Um, like 
orcs or goblins. Like goblins would be the popular one in a North American D&D campaign. Your players would meet goblins. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. But in mm -hmm. Japanese stuff, usually you'd start with animals like or monsters like slimes and kind of yeah. work your way up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Dragon Quest was probably the first or if not the first game of that kind. So, And Dragon Quest was also Square Enix and it started in 1986. It's actually for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm -hmm. um, and it predates Final Fantasy by a year. Yeah. So there you go. That's it's probably Dragon Quest I'm thinking of. Yeah, as the other as the other yeah. one. Um, it also had the advantage, at least some of the later ones, maybe the early ones. Akira Toriyama did the designs for them, mm. and yeah. uh, he's the creator of Dragon Ball. And um, he, so the, his designs became iconic. Also, it's Dragon Quest where the slime. Yes, that's it. Because it's Dragon Quest where the slimes are an iconic part of the game. Hmm. <laughs> Later versions, the characters even have like pet slimes that sit on their shoulders and stuff because everyone loved the slimes. Ew. And they were merchandisable as hell, which is the main point. They're, yeah. Because they're basically like, you, you can make little toys of them that are basically just colored bean bags, right? And right, everyone right. thinks yeah. that they're the cutest thing ever, especially with a little face on them. Because they look like the poo emoji. Yeah, they do. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Um, oh, and Dragon Quest was originally called Dragon Warrior. Mm -hmm. I believe in Japan, something like that. Yeah, posters. Oh no, Dragon Warrior in North America, Dragon Quest in Japan. There we go. Oh, that's how it worked. Okay. Anyway, um, but yeah, there. Uh, that that became kind of the standard. It's it was the game that everyone played, and so that's the game that everyone you know remembers and knows and knows the monsters from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it looks like the poop emoji, except it's like blue. Imagine a blue poop emoji, and that's the slime. <laughs> see your doctor <laughs> yes see doctor if, if continues <laughs> yeah, it's the uh designed by toriyama himself akira toriyama it's the official mascot of the dragon quest series wow mm. <laughs> um it and so there we go uh, it's this little blue blob with a shape like a water droplet with a face yeah. yeah, there they are. So, but yeah, so if you see that um, or the Final Fantasy monster that you can spot everywhere in the Japanese inspired stuff is the Chocobo, which is like the, uh, oh. they're the horse birds. Yeah. Horse birds. Yeah. They're, don't, we call, they're, don't we call those Pegasus? <laughs> or no, Pegasus? Horse. that's not what they are at all. They're, an, they're like an oversized ostrich that okay. basically you can ride. They're like an they're, riding ostrich. Oh. They're diatremas. You got me there. I don't don't know what that is. Is that uh, is that the animals from Joust? Nah, <laughs> they're they're those are like ostriches. No, yeah. the uh, the the old uh, prehistoric terror birds. Oh, okay. The Forahakos, the Diatrema, those ones, like gotcha. the big six foot axe yeah, yeah. beak thingies. I know That's basically what they are. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's basically, the mm -hmm. super nasty killer shark versions of ostriches, uh, with, yeah. with giant claws. Um, except the ones in Final in Final Fantasy are very nice and generally uh, chicken like. Yeah, ch more chicken like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Think of them as giant riding chickens. I guess that might actually be a better <laughs> way to describe them. Um, anyway, <laughs> so the Japanese, yeah, just finish everything our is weirder in Japan. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it is. They, they have their own take on things. They have that's, their own take on for things. Sure. For sure. Um, well, I think I, I think Jack they, was but, right. But interestingly <laughs> enough, the Japanese seem to prefer overall. I've seen some Japanese actual role-playing games and such, and they're actually relatively rules-light. They seem to actually prefer the slightly more rules-light stuff. Like, they don't, yeah, get, they, they don't get much they, crunchier than, like, 
maybe about second edition D and D level, but even then, not not usually. Well, they and they they do it weird. Uh, Japanese role playing games tend to be rules light, but they do odd things because they're they were ahead of the curve, and this kind of ties back around to the the point that I think I was starting about twenty minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> sure, might as well. That go ahead. That what what ends up happening, and I'll bring this back forward here. I think mm -hmm. I'm gonna go do ahead. some mental gymnastics, but the advantage if if you're looking at it in terms of developing writing of a rules heavy game is that games that have more detailed more complex rules tend to lock you into um certain methodologies and certain courses of action mm -hmm. so like ad and d obsessively keeping track track of encumbrance means there were a lot of things i couldn't do like i couldn't carry an infinite number of arrows and i couldn't carry like my plus two axe and my plus five broadsword because it would just weigh me down too much i couldn't carry enough loot and what it does is it makes the events of the game, it kind of takes them in a way out of the hands of the game master and the players. Mm -hmm. That the game world exists more of its own volution. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where there's a value to that because even as game master, it forces you around along certain ways of thinking. And you can always change the rules. I found for myself at a certain point, I stopped doing that. I started playing every game I ran right out of the box, as they say, because it was always a, diff a different experience. That it mm. wasn't when I when I would tinker with them, I found I was bringing them towards kind of my own personal concept of how the universe should work, and I decided to stop because that cheated me out of part of the fun of the game. Like huh. the weird, the goofy, obsessive rules in that add to the experience, like. D and D obsessively keeping track of how much pocket change you have because it's gonna it's gonna weigh you down literally if you've played. Mm -hmm. It's weird, it's goofy, it's clunky, but it's part of AD and D. It kind of makes the experience. In a strange way, um, I, 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 I not that I see you, your point in a strange way, but in a strange way, you're the I you could almost make the argument that mm -hmm. if you're not a very good if you're not a very good role player in the respect that you you've never played role-playing games before and you and your friends are sitting down trying to do this you're almost better off with a more complex crunchy game because it keeps mm. it keeps you boxed in within the system and in the world that way so that it yeah. won't go off the rails to the same degree and and also if you have a game master who really isn't that creative as a as a story person Mm. Um, you, you could be doing better work for your whole team to run with something really crunchy that way as well. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm sure you, you can do both. I'm not saying it can, mm -hmm. I'm just saying it, it can really help for those people who find themselves as neophytes in that direction. Yeah, de definitely. Cause there's, mm. there's a whole school of role-playing games that I love and I, I don't know what you'd, you'd call them, but it requires a certain kind of player mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and this is games like we've we've mentioned on the show before a few of my favorites would be like um cosmic patrol or which i really edition. want to get a copy of by the way i really love whenever mm. you talk about it because i i think mm. you sent me like an uh, uh an online version or something but uh mm -hmm. i i sort of just glanced through it and i've lost it i've got to buy myself an actual hard copy somewhere so because i think it'd be fun 
Yeah, and and it is. It's it's because now you like the pulp sci-fi adventure. Big time, yeah. And that's what the game is based on, and it's a super mechanics light game because it harkens back to white box D and D that it's assumed that everybody who plays it is up on the genre, right? Mm-hmm. And that they're just going to completely ham it up. Yeah, yeah. Like the game is designed for that. If my heroic hero comes in and gives the, you know. We have to save the galaxy from these evil aliens, and I will lead the charge. And, and you're doing dramatic speeches and all that. You get bonuses in the game. Yeah, in the right. same way that it come, uh, it came from the late, late, late shows. You have to really yeah. have an understanding of the genre. When I played it with my sons, we watched Amazon Women on the Moon first, so they could get <laughs> a feel for it. Right. So. Uh huh. So and it worked, you know. So. You actually yeah. ran. You came from the late, late, late show. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't I, know you'd I, actually I, run it. After, after your wonderful uh, episode, hyperlink here, uh, for <laughs> the horror uh, things, I went and bought Chill, and I bought the, the – it came from the Great Late Late Show online because I oh. thought they was, both sounded like a really interesting – now, I honestly haven't gotten into Chill yet at all. I haven't even opened it, cracked it open. But uh, mm. we had so much fun with it came from the Late 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 Show. Um, it was great. And so th- I went out and found Amazon Women on the Moon, the movie, and then right. did my own personal edits to remove certain scenes <laughs> that uh-huh. were extremely <laughs> funny from an adult point of view, but not something you want to show your teens and preteens. And uh, so it, I just gave them the feel for it, and then we, we ran uh, a little campaign, which was, I think, the, the main campaign that came in the the actual box. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. And we didn't finish it, mm. of course, but it was the the boys really started to get into it and it was mm-hmm. quite cool so oh that's good that's really good okay whereas chill would give them a very different experience for sure um, the only thing is yeah. the only problem i have with what you said don is that i could see rule light being a much easier sell for non gamers to to get them into role playing games yeah it it, it kind of depends what you're what you're doing and and what you're getting and who your person is yes because I've I've met people mm-hmm. who are I guess you say more like scientifically inclined, mm-hmm. and they totally dig a more complicated game. Because again, part of the satisfaction is seeing how the 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 events play out, mm-hmm. and a more detailed system where you're actively participating in the the formula that's translating the events happening to the characters into data, which translates into results. There's an appeal to that. Um, what you're getting at, what what you're specifically getting at, and this takes us back to how the Japanese write games, mm-hmm. is the idea, like we said at the beginning, role-playing games proper are to get everybody on the same, like, page. Get them thinking in the same direction. Right, yeah. A lot of rules-light ones mm-hmm. kind of start with the position that you're already kind of headed that way. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, for it came from the Late 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 Show... If you've got a bunch of people who are fans of like old schlock theater stuff, they already have an idea. They know what the the missing real shtick is. Mm-hmm, um, they mm-hmm. know the idea of calling in the stunt double. They know the idea of like your character getting pissy and you can call for a rewrite to change how the how this the the scene played out. Blah blah blah. They understand mm-hmm. that. They under they understand all of the 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 weird effects in that, and they'll play along. If you've got somebody mm-hmm. who isn't aware of that. They're at a disadvantage in the game because the game is written around that understanding. It's harder to get them up to speed. 
Japanese games tend to kind of split the difference where they'll have mechanics for things, mm -hmm. but the mechanics are designed to get you up to speed of the genre more than they are to simulate the events happening in the story. Right. Okay. I guess I, can, I think I can kind of see your point. Um, so the Japanese games are still meant for people that maybe don't know the genre or are not as don't really know quite what to do yet kind of i guess saying? i guess the easiest way to look at it would be the uh the the 90s gundam role-playing game from japan okay uh the one that when you were in japan you sent me a copy of yes <laughs> the, despite gundam essentially being japan's star trek and the technology being so analyzed and thought out and paced in such a part of a story mm -hmm. the game doesn't get into the fussy bits of the stats for all of the max mm -hmm. like you said they're very they're very like like light on actual mechanics and formula but they get way into how things play out right so for instance when you do combat the two things about the game that that i thought were weird is combat movement is relative Mm -hmm. so you've got say the player in their mech mm -hmm. and um the d20 the first edition d20 star uh, star wars role-playing game does this kind of thing too mm -hmm. that you're charting movement based on the character's like mech their ship and that mm -hmm. so the way you plot it is you've got this thing it looks like an old radar the little uh the round display that you'd see the blips and the the swirly arm thing on mm -hmm. and you're in the middle and then you're calculating the movement of all of the other guys as they sort of come into your field of attention right so it's not an absolute kind of movement where i'm plotting everybody on a map it's what you see in the shows where shit just flies at you and flies by it plays out like that they're not simulating the reality of what it would be like in a mech they're simulating how the shows are done and it's the same thing with results. Like when I'm rolling dice, I'm getting numbers, but those numbers are translating into effects. Mm -hmm. And there's different effects for the scene. Like they, they comes at little stickers that you can put on a D6 dice that change it from numbers to what it translates. And one of my favorite is one of the results is, <laughs> and you can roll that on a dice if you're playing the Gundam role-playing game. And that, it represents... that would be a critical failure. It is, and and if you've ever seen like uh, like any kind of Japanese robot show, you know what that means. That's the scream you make before the 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 screen turns red. You get those like action streaky lines, and your mech blows up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so the game, it's rules light, and it's re trying really hard to simulate not the reality of the events in the game, but the reality of the genre that the game is set in and it's it's mm. it's and the japanese also have this weird habit that they explain the mechanics a lot mm -hmm. and any given page of because i've seen a i've i've seen a, a few different japanese role-playing games half of the page is the actual rule and the other half is the designer apologizing for it <laughs> it's it's hard Very to japanese. explain it is like they're they're very very uh conciliatory about how the mechanics work and the shortcomings of of the system and, mm. and it's it's 
it's odd. I guess that's the only way I can explain yeah, okay. it. Yeah, well, Japanese role-playing games are very odd. I'm, I haven't really read enough of them to have too much of an opinion. Just, I've read two or three of them. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a copy. Uh, my friend Graham gave me a copy of the Japanese made role-playing game. That's a translated one you can get. Um, mm-hmm. That's an interesting book. It's actually, you're all supposed, you're supposed to be basically playing the maids of a, of a rich NPC. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're basically his maid harem, pretty much. Oh. <laughs> uh, you would have to, you'd have to see it to actually understand. But, but, and then you end up fighting amongst yourselves and going on missions and doing stuff. But it's all basically comes back to um, trying to win your, the, uh, your master's favor, basically. Mm. But you have like some of you are like have demon superpowers and they're super powered cyborg maids and there's all because each of you are like the all these different archetypes. Mm-hmm. So it's wow. really weird. Um, but again, <laughs> as Don said, it's mostly about just simulating the feel. But speaking of which, I want to go back to that idea though that I presented the idea that it rules light games are better for uh, non gamers. And my quintessential example of that would of course be the World of Darkness stuff. Mm-hmm. Vampire the Masquerade took off like in a big way among non-gamers exactly because they took the mechanics and they coded it down to something that was very rules light ish that normal people could understand very simply that everything was simply based on a rating of one to five stars basically and that's how everything worked and in abstract and it's like oh okay and everyone your average person could get that and because your average person could get that, it brought in a huge number of people who would never consider playing a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. See, here was the interesting aspect. I didn't care for the Storyteller series, and you'd think mm-hmm. I would because that would be right up my, my alley. And mm-hmm. the reason I can – thinking back now, the reason why I didn't like it was the worlds, even though the systems to play them were, were a lot more re- simplest, simplified, the mm-hmm. worlds themselves were ridiculously defined. And so mm-hmm. from, from a perspective of um, people walking in, basically there's a whole bunch of lore that you kind of needed to know if you were a vampire. There's, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You needed to know what, yeah. what, what uh, your clan you were with or something like that. If you were even running the mage campaign, which was my favorite of the two just because I liked the way they dealt with magic, and you guys talked about that in a recent episode mm-hmm. as well. Um, I re- that was my favorite of the series, and that's. But even that, you had to have deeper understanding of exactly what spell casting was about. So, mm-hmm. even though you can argue that it, it, a simpler system works for them, not if you have to. If you have to spend a lot of time reading, uh, like basically novels worth of background information just to play the game, it's not something that you just walk into the same way. Well, I would argue that's not quite true. Uh, the original Vampire the Masquerade game, the players were meant to start off as a bunch of newbie vampires who just woke up and would basically have some more mature vampire, in theory, um, start acting as their guide and explain the whole world of Vampire the Masquerade to them. In theory, that's how the game was meant to be played, originally anyway. And so only the GM really had to know all the lore and everything, and the players would get it as they went along. Now, of course, later they added books and books and books and books and books of details because that's how they made their money, and I, I'm not going to throw stones there. But again, the point is is that if you play it in that way from the newbie vampire or newbie werewolf or whatever coming into the clan and all that stuff, 
it's totally workable. Um, I would argue it's games like Changeling and Mage, that's where things kind of, and uh, Race, where things kind of go off the rails, where that becomes much harder to explain to an average person, and you really do have to understand a lot of background. And, I, th- I I would say you're you're probably right because I think I didn't I didn't come up to it till about the second edition of those games. That being said, mm-hmm. uh, if you kind of almost are looking for a bunch of newbies to play with because if you've got somebody who's played the game before, then you've got a, a real unbalance of how the world works compared to people who don't know in that respect. Whereas it doesn't really matter in D and D to the same degree how the world mm, works true. because it's it's not that kind of game in that respect so yeah i i think you're both uh you're both right <laughs> and there's kind of a because the, there's an extra component to it mm-hmm. the mechanics were simple uh the story was the focus so mm-hmm. they they had more detailed backgrounds to begin with but but kind of like rob was getting at all of them are pretty pretty straightforward when you get to say the first book or the first couple of books, mm. it's easy to follow the story, but because they, that nominally they were focused on the drama as opposed to, to the event, to mm-hmm. the, the fight scene and that they started fleshing out the backgrounds more and more. And that's where you get into like what Jack is talking about. Cause they would put out book. And this was my complaint with it. Cause you, this was what you started seeing at the early and mid days of the big narrativist role-playing game takeover was they do like say vampire mm-hmm. and vampire be here's the background here's the, uh, the the rough history here's how the different clans of vampire work and like, okay this is cool and then they would do like specific books for each clan that would detail their history yes. and you're like yeah. okay this 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 is still pretty cool and then they do like specific books for like say specific cities you'd get like the boston book and here's all the vampires in boston you're like yeah okay it's interesting but at that point you're kind of losing me because as game master, I can come up with my own story, mm-hmm. but because they're focusing on the story, they're doing like Rob said. That's how they make their money. They're getting more and more detailed, and eventually, it get down to the part where it's like, "This is the book of Bob. Bob lives at this address. He likes yeah. to have cornflake." For, and like, holy crap! I don't need to memorize all of your 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 Anracian characters. I can make up my own. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. That that was kind of the mechanics were simple, but yeah, the story got complicated. Out of that, when you get to the early two thousands, you get kind of uh, a thing that again I think is overall good and kind of bad, where the narrativist game template changes because Wad was the original one. Mm-hmm. They were focusing on on the characters and the drama, but still simulating those within the game world. So adding more of that to the game world became the thing. But you got games where the goal was to play the story as opposed to the to to just the events of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Battletech where... was like that too, you know. Yeah, it got yeah, that kinda. way after a while. You know, it just got so involved with you. Know, okay, so you got your four houses. That's great. Well, now mm-hmm. you've got all these clans that are going on, and they've each got their own source book. And eventually, you're just like. Oh, this is getting this is getting exhausting to try to keep up with the lore that you're creating for this world. So. Yeah, not not just that, but you also had GURPS level super detailed like yep. mechanics that you had to learn. Yep. So, but but you got into a thing where they split the difference, and this is where like say the idea of Cosmic Patrol comes in that I'm not just playing my character; I'm playing the story. That as a participant, 
I can affect the outcome. And that was the idea with by earning and spending plot points. Right. I, I can spend a plot point and totally change the events. Or when you get to stuff like, um, I'm thinking Fate kind of falls in this category. My mm-hmm. my ever po- ever favorite uh, cartoon action hour, season three, where you're literally playing the story more than the character. That the game is kind of, it's the writer's room of a TV show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. except with, with a, a few mechanics added in that let us again keep track and have a bit of more structure than a straight up writer's room would for how this story turns out Mm -hmm. and that again i think broaches to the uh the baron munchausen game i was gonna say that sounds very very munchausen actually it is and that's and that's why i say it is a role-playing game it's a weird different fairly unique kind of role-playing game Mm -hmm. because i'm not playing an even a named character as a participant in a specific story i'm kind of it's like jack said it's more like an acting exercise with a little bit more structure than maybe you'd have but i still think that counts because i'm a guy making up a story and that's ultimately what any role-playing game is true very true Hmm. Hmm. okay so was there anything else you want to discuss don yeah, there's there's uh one of the weird things because what what made me start thinking about all of this mm-hmm. was uh, I managed to snag a copy of the uh, Shadowrun Fifth Edition rulebook, mm-hmm. and I don't know if anybody's ever seen this. This is in the words of Beavis and Butthead: If you squash a bug with this book, it stays squashed. Right. <laughs> it's it's this like giant six hundred page hardcover book. Wow. Wasn't it like a Kickstarter campaign book or something like that? It. It was, but I mean, it's it's. There's a lot of role playing games that have gone that way. That because I ordered a, a couple, and the package arrives with those warning heavy load stickers all <laughs> over it. it. It was it was basically just free books that I'd order, but they're these huge like monsters, and I thought it was great because I like Shadowrun, and I was curious about the new version. I heard good mm-hmm. things, and I managed to find like a, an affordable secondhand copy of the the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading it, and it's got all kinds of new stuff, and it's cool, and it's fun, and I like messing with the rules, and I like the ideas. And I kind of started feeling bad, because I realized there are a lot of people in the world that would never get to enjoy this, just because they would look at that and go, holy crap, what, what, what is that? Is is it, Did part of your house fall off? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Th- do you have to prop up the launch pad for the space shuttle? Like, Jesus, this, it's it's like I'm back in school. And and that made me sad because there's a joy to that that complexity and, and, and such as a feeling of accomplishment when you get to the end. But mm-hmm. it's not all work because it's this weird gaming kind of setting. Right. So do you think the complexity is now back to being limited to the nerds but the storytelling narrative style is more open for more people from what i've seen i think you had what happened years ago with video games where video games had another upsurge and then like the older players would bitch and moan about like you know the johnny come lately gamer types that are just kind of farting around and they're not serious gamers like us posers mm-hmm. yeah i i think <laughs> yeah i think role-playing game has a bit of that but it's not the obsessiveness that there's a lot of games that you could think of as an introductory one that are stripped down 
that are conceptually simpler, that are mechanically simpler. And they exist perfectly well these days alongside the 1,200-page giant monster games that require a degree in physics just to be able to, like, read the formulas for calculating how much your character can lift, you know. Mm-hmm. Comes and, with calculator inbox. <laughs> yeah. And and again, I think that that's, that's valuable because I think what that does is it lets role-playing games be a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And because... If I go to like a, like a drive through RPG, which I probably shouldn't because I have way too many. I buy binders by the crate now yep. because just because of them. Mm-hmm. But you'll go down the list and you'll see games like uh, they did. Uh, oh, shoot. It's like your 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 magical girl game. Uh, I mm-hmm. forget what it's called. There's a there's a derivation called lasers and feelings. <laughs> which, I have no which, idea what you're talking about, but okay, uh, I'll look it up. It's uh, it's a role playing game. It's it's like the uh, it, it's essentially like the the shoujo cartoon science fiction game, and it's like three pages. And the amazing thing is, it's three pages that covers the genre really well. And that's existing alongside like Shadowrun Five. Oh my God! I hope you're ready to go back to college. <laughs> and they exist perfectly well. I don't see a lot of the bitching about which one is better online, and I don't see people carrying the banner for more rules or less rules. It's just that whatever your shtick is, it's out there, and you can partake freely. Well, I think that the issue is in in, in the modern age is that people aren't expecting it to be a home run like D&D. Back in the day yeah. when you couldn't you couldn't find certain stuff or people were, you know, it was really difficult to find. You were finding Dungeons and Dragons books in your local bookstore, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so now we've gotten to the point that we can we can have a lot more niche just like with comics, just like with everything. You know, we have the ability to be able to say, "Yeah, I really do enjoy crunchy role-playing games." And so does all these other people around the world, and we can all find each other at RP drive-in RPG and get the ones yep. that we want that way. So that's yeah. true. Because it's it's the trade-off that you see in the internet age that back in the day, if I did a role-playing game, it had to be a hit. Like, yeah, if I if I printed a five hundred page rule book, that cost me a lot to get those. Even if I had a minimum run of say five hundred copies. Mm-hmm. That was probably a fair chunk of change, and I had to move them. Whereas nowadays, since everything's gone digital, especially gaming, most most new role playing games come out as digital and or print on demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can put it together, put it online, and I don't give a shit if it sells at all. Yeah, because it doesn't cost. Like when I put the uh, Urban Warlords rules up, I didn't have any advertising or that, and it's. It's it's all there. It's it doesn't have illustrations or nothing. It's kind of the beta version of the book, and I made ten bucks. There you go. And I made ten bucks free and clear because I didn't have to pay for printing, shipping, or warehousing. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty awesome that way. Yeah. So every you can get that variety. The only disadvantage is it makes it harder to make a career of it yes. because even if you even if you break in and become a known name, because the audience is so diffused. You're not going to have the income that you, as a B-list gamer, that you'd have, say, in the '80s, as a B-list gamer that was selling actual, you know, X number of copies, because the 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 audience wasn't as as uh, broken up. Is this is this sort of like uh, eBooks where um, uh, you want 
more as opposed to less. So if you if you're an ebook writer and you write, you know, sort of a particular genre that just a few people like, but you write twelve, you know, uh, twelve books of them, four of them, four trilogies, you're going to do mm-hmm. a whole lot better than if you just put out one or two of those things because um, you're not looking for that one big hit. You're looking for your smaller group to just be uh, voracious fans of your stuff. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's different because, like, say for gaming, back in the days, it was a push system. Right. That if I got in writing with one of, like, say the five or ten like known companies depending on what era it was they would push my product that it would it would come out they already had systems like a lot of gaming companies had a house organ like tsr had dragon uh was it uh uh gdw had uh challenge magazine right that mm-hmm. tended to focus more on the the company products if not strictly the company products and because the audience wasn't as di- diverse, they were all seeing the same ads. So it was being, you could push something on. Whereas now I could do a huge ad campaign that people who have never heard of me are never going to see because they're never going to move in a circle where that comes up. And again, it, it makes it harder to generate that big audience, but a lot easier to generate an audience. Right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Hmm. Hmm. By the way, the uh, game you're talking about, about Magic Girls, was called Love and Justice. Yeah, that's it. And it's yeah, the, hmm? and it's based and on feelings lasers and feelings, which apparently lasers and feelings, I do remember I encountered that before, is literally like a two-page role-playing game. It, like as, as yeah. rules light goes, it's pretty light. Yeah, they're, they're in my pile here somewhere, but I'm not going to go through the possibly thousands of books. Because they'll fall on me, and you guys will get to hear me suffocate to death on air. And I don't, I don't know if anybody wants that. When you said binders, and then you said girls, I thought you were talking about Mitt Romney's binders of women, and thought suddenly Mitt Romney is a nerd, and he's been playing role playing games all this time. But no, binders of women. No, no. Didn't yep. you know about that? Is binders of women? That I remember. Bi- yeah, I've got mm-hmm. binders of women here. I, I I'm right. old. I remember that. Yep. There you go. <laughs> um. But yeah. Okay. Well, that's and. But yeah. The. Lasers and feelings thing. Wow, that's super um, rules light, and uh, and, this, and it works. Like I've I, I've never had it. a chance to run it, but you totally could. Yep. Again, if you had the right group. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the typical gamers are not going to get into the shojo feel. Okay, the surprisingly handsome villain shows up and he winks at you and says, "You're cuter than I thought you'd be." What do you do? I open up my, my atomic blaster cannon and blow him into pieces. How much XP do I get? Yeah, they're not gonna kind of get into the yeah. into the and the mechanics aren't set up to enforce that. Like I said again, it's it's that idea that they assume you're already. And, and it's hard to enforce anything in, like, two pages. Well, just like Lasers and Feelings is actually a Star Trek role-playing game. Is it? Yeah, that's what Lasers and Feelings actually is. I For, for everyone, I will link to Lasers and Feelings, which is a completely free two-page game. Um, you can get it as a PDF <laughs> online. I'll link to it in the show notes and also link to Love and Justice, which actually is also free. It's on Drive-Thru RPG. It just happens to be yeah. through Drive-Thru RPG. But you can download a 
free PDF of it. And in fact, it looks like people have gone through and they they call them lasers and feelings hacks. There's one mm-hmm. where it's a it's a role playing game set in the in the uh, Roman Empire, mm. and it's using the basic <laughs> rules from lasers and feelings. There's another one. It's a superhero one called Tights and Fights. Oh wait, no, sorry, that's not superhero. It's wrestling. Sorry, that's oh, wrestling. Okay. Scar- starships and scoundrels. Um, teachers and tentacles. Eep. Oh, okay. Anyway, we're gonna move on. Um, deputies <laughs> and desperados. There we go. There's a D and D one. Uh-huh. I wonder what D&D that's called. One. Um, the they call it Dungeons with Dragons. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought they were gonna say Dungeons and Damsels. There you go. Ah. Uh, now, no, now nobody make with that. Dragons. Yeah, because that that's a Dungeons. great title. I'm gonna use that one somewhere during. <laughs> Jack, Jack calls it. Yeah. There you go. Called it. Yep. Shotgun. Um, and there's there's lots of them here. And yeah, you because the thing with la- with the with the lasers with feelings thing is they're literally meant to be two three page RPGs. And the whole yeah. idea is you. It's very very simple rules wise. Like it it basically is only really a step above. Uh, let's pre- you know, a group of kids playing let's pretend because right. most of the rules are just about setting up the scenario. Mm. They're not yeah, even about and, actually playing. And that kind of goes back to, to to the beginning, like when you got white box D&D, that it was pretty basic. And anybody who partook had their own take on it. Yeah. Right. That so makes that's, sense. Kind, that's kind of what you're seeing there. Like I say, there's other stripped down systems. Fate was like that, that there's a hundred million different, because everybody would do their own kind of take on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is it going with my idea that whatever your shtick is you can have it it goes the other way that the uh the d20 modern game uh that they did that in and of itself wasn't super popular mm-hmm. has a hundred bajillion third party guys who just did their own version for their own genres and their own stories and just ran with it and there's like a billion variants of it all right then so on that note i think we're going to bring this episode to a close unless there's anything else we want to cover i mean after lasers and feelings where can we go from there <laughs> That's um true. so so uh thanks jack for coming and uh visiting with us once more and uh talking about uh rules heavy versus rules light role-playing games thanks for um, having me guys always fun yep. thanks don mm-hmm. for keeping us on course and organized as usual even though it was a uh, difficult time um and thank, those cats <laughs> and thank you listener for um sticking with us through this long and rambling broadcast about uh <laughs> about hard and soft role-playing games and hopefully you didn't snicker too much good night everyone check out obey the dna.com leave comment or check out the show notes and good night bye bye <laughs> thanks for listening to the show If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!